0: Welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Warren,
1: and I'm Michael. What's up, people? How you doing, Michael? How's the move going? Oh, it's going, uh, it's going okay, man. It, you know how it is. It's like you you put up all the shit you think you don't need, all the unnecessary things, like way too far in advance, and your house looks blank. And then you procrastinate. And then you end up needing, you end up needing half that shit that well, you put away already. Yeah, you end up needing <laughs> some stuff for sure. But then you also, you know, you just you save everything else for the end because you don't want to live in your house without all your shit. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you, you don't realize how many things you become accustomed to using on a daily basis. Just yeah. little just little shit, you know? Yeah, it's... uh, where, Where's the cup I put my toothbrush in? You just want me to throw it on the counter like an animal? Like, what kind of... Yeah, uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah,
0: you do end up living like a rat or something. You just got shit all misplaced. And- yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to this next move, actually, because right now we're, like, living, like, I could throw a football and hit the lot that we're building a house on, and we're, like, I don't know if you guys knew as listeners, we've been, my wife and I and my two kids have been living in a trailer as we're in the early process of building a house, and it's a nightmare, man. It's, like, just all the crap you need to do. Like, we got the the house plans engineered, but now we got to get the plumbing engineered and the electrical engineered. It's just, like, one thing after another. We haven't even moved a piece of dirt, and we've been here for four months, so, by the time, but by the time we do have the house built and we move, we're gonna be able to just like throw shit in a wagon and walk it over there if we have to. <laughs> like it's so close. Whereas you're moving to freaking North Carolina, you know it's gonna be That's, yeah. that's like you really got to be strategic about what what goes and what stays and what exactly. you just gonna get rid of. And
1: yeah, you gotta you start prioritizing shit. You're like, and that's kind of what we're doing. We're like, okay, all these boxes are priority one. Like these gotta go on the truck. And we're like, this stuff, mm, not so much. You know, <laughs> it's three or yeah. four down on the list. Like this doesn't have to be. You start, yeah, you start realizing like, do we really need that piece of furniture? Like, it's really heavy. You know what I mean? Like, do we really need it? No,
0: dude. Our last, our last move when we moved up here, we we just started giving everything away, dude. Having yard sales, and by like Mm -hmm. the second weekend, third weekend of yard sale, we're just like, please,
1: fucking take it.
0: Just take our stuff. Free. (laughs) Get the hell out of here. I did that. Look at it.
1: Yeah, I did. We did that uh, a lot more so when we moved from North Carolina to here because we had a house full of shit, and you know we'd lived there our whole life, so we had collected so much shit, and then we moved out here in a four by eight trailer and our SUV, so uh we we got rid of everything we did the same thing like we had yard sales for you know the last three or four days we were there and on the last day we just put a huge cardboard sign out in the yard just said free and it was just there was all kinds of shit it was like dressers and weed eaters and shit people just like whoa it's fucking christmas so Mm -hmm. yeah so if y'all had any
0: (laughs) doubt as to our dedication to this podcast just just realize all the shit that's going on man our lives are hectic right now i'm living in a trailer you're moving to across the country again but this train's still rolling baby still rolling so and you know what
1: i'm gonna get this episode up this weekend and then well it's already up obviously you're listening to it and then uh, traveling in the midst and then we'll have a freeloader episode next week we won't even miss a beat
0: are you not entertained (laughs) are you not seriously (laughs) man and from a comfort standpoint like i'm trying out recording in the trailer right now and like, we, have, we got a pretty nice trailer we're living in you know as, tra- as far as trailers go yeah. i am literally chilling like a villain right now i've got my recliner my pleather recliner that oh, i am nice. completely reclined in and so i'm thinking how the hell have i not been recording like this forever like i'm just like comfort is key like I saw a comedian recording a podcast recently. He was doing it in like a hotel bed, like fully, like just laying back, like shirtless. <laughs> just I'm like that's how it should be done. Is how this it is a podcast. Why should we do it all business, like in a studio and all that? Fuck that. No, oh, I'm gonna agree. do it nude in a recliner from now on.
1: Yeah, who cares? Especially now we're we're remotely. You know, it's not even yeah, weird. Exactly, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's. Good. <laughs> Dude, don't fall asleep on me during this podcast, okay? If I hear you snoring You're over ready. there. We'll know.
0: <laughs> Yeah, no, we're good. So, you ready to talk about this freaking greaser wannabe Fonzie and fucking Elvis weirdo?
1: Yeah, what? This dude, man. The pipe piper baby. The Let's Pied get into piper. it, huh? Let's do it. Oh, creatures The pipe, pipe, pipe. The pipe, pipe. The pipe, pipe. The pipe, pipe.
0: So our case this week, guy named Charles Schmid, or the Pied Piper of Tucson, Arizona. Uh, interesting case. We used uh, another book from the Bloodland series by Harold Schechter. This one's called The Pied Piper.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think of the book? Um, I mean, I thought it was just as good as uh, the as the pirate. As yeah, the pirate. Maybe even better because yeah, I, I, I wasn't expecting it to be so recent of a case. Because I didn't I didn't really yeah. look into it at all before I heard this. I totally. Didn't even know about this guy as a quote-unquote cult leader, if you want to call it that. Now, when you say
0: recent, dude, were you thinking it was like some old folklore shit because it's called the Pied Piper? Because it was still, it was back in the early 60s that he did his killing. So it's not like it was very recent. Yeah, I was thinking know?
1: much older. Yeah, I was thinking like around the time of the okay. pirate, you know? I was thinking like late 1800s, early 1900s. Oh, okay. I thought the Bloodland series was like all going to be, you know, early American crimes. I don't know. That's just what I thought. Yeah. Uh, well, I thought maybe you thought that
0: because of the, the tale of the Pied Piper, which is very dark. And and uh, if you guys haven't heard about it, we should we should talk about that briefly. Sure. Um, the Pied Piper. I mean, some people look, uh, think of the Pied Piper is like a, there's a superhero apparently in the I think in the Marvel universe or mm-hmm. some shit. I've, I don't. I'm not really into comic stuff. I mean, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are. I'm not trying to offend y'all yeah. all right i'm just saying it's i'm not just, really if, into if it you know who the Pied Piper? Um, so when is, i looked up Pied piper yeah <laughs> I've, I, I've heard the real tale from germany back in the middle ages um i've heard briefly so i re-looked into it again and was just as creeped out the second time i looked into it man so basically the t- do you want to tell the story of the the real Pied piper and where it came about
1: uh yeah isn't it mainly from a poem
0: well no there's a there was a like a, a folklore tale from back in, in germany in the middle ages oh my god it was written
1: by the Grimm brothers Probably sure. it was,
0: but I um, basically the the tale goes that there was this town in Germany. I forget the town. I don't. I, I don't even know if it even Hamlin? still exists.
1: Hamlin. Yeah, town, yeah it was like Brunswick. Hamlin or something like that.
0: Okay. Well, the town was infested with rats, and it was like an epidemic. And uh, this person, this this weirdly dressed person called the Pied Piper, comes into the town and offers to the mayor to get to get rid of the rat problem. Uh, for what, like, it was like a thousand whatever uh, denomination of money they were using at the time. Right. Um, And uh, so the the mayor agrees, probably thinking, what's he really going to do? He's not going to be able to fix this. He actually plays his flute and leads the rats, like, they all follow him. He plays this frigging flute, and then all the rats follow him out of town, and he leads them to a pond or a lake where they all drown, and he gets rid of the rat problem. And when he goes back to the mayor of the town... For payment, the mayor says, "You know, I'm not gonna pay you."
1: That's and pretty and the pied damn pied piper shitty.
0: Says, "Very well then." Yeah, it's pretty That's... fucking shitty. <laughs> and, and so the pied piper goes, "All right, very well then," and goes on his merry way. And uh, not long after that, on the day that they all that the whole town went to church, the pied piper returns, and he walks into the church and he starts playing his flute. And every kid in town gets up out of their seats and starts following him. And the same thing happens. He leads them. To a body of water where they all drown. The only exception was a few children. Like one of them was deaf. Uh One of the kids uh, was like crippled and couldn't follow along fast enough. There was like just a few kids that survived, and and for um, reasons is that they just couldn't keep up, or they didn't hear the music, or whatever. But yeah, very creepy tale. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where like pay the pi- pay the pied piper came from. It's like he didn't he didn't pay him, so he paid in a different way.
1: Yeah, but, that's pretty fucked up, man. That you should have. Uh, yeah. You should have paid him, especially since he did it. I mean, you should have been so relieved. should have been like, here's a blank check. You know? These right. rats were ridiculous. Yeah. I, did, I didn't know about yeah, the man. kids. You got to pay
0: your debts. Just, that's the thing. It's like there's a lot of times in life where, you know, you, you agree to something because you're thirsty for that, whatever it is in the mm-hmm. moment. And then the high of whatever it was. Like I always thought you should pay up front for food at a restaurant. Because by the time you're done eating and you're all full, you're just like, I don't want to pay this shit now. I'm not even hungry anymore. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like, but a lot of people are like that. They're like, you know, I want this thing now. And they, so they like are willing to pay whatever. And then they get it and they're, they're excited and then the high wears off. And then all of a sudden they don't really want to pay anymore. There's a lot of assholes like that that will never pay you for yeah. shit once they already have it.
1: You know, number you know? one example. And this is, a, this is a good story as to why you shouldn't be Number like one that. example of something you're talking about is a new car. Dude, when you d- yeah. just never, just don't drive it. Like you just need to look at it on paper and be like, if I was just looking at yep. it, you know, would I be able to, you know, what would my month to month bills look like with if this a, pictured in? If it's a five-year loan, yeah. three years from now, am I still going to be just as happy about this and still right? be Think of something you bought. You know, okay with paying these big-ass exactly. payments? Think of something you bought three years ago. How do you feel about it now? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, exactly. You don't give a shit. You're bored, You're with, bored it, right? with it, dude. It just now gets you to work. That's yep. all it is. That's right, dude. <clears throat> so, yep.
0: But uh, the, the this guy ended up being called, uh, being dubbed the the Pied Piper of Tucson because of his uh, lure. I guess like he had like a vibe about him, and he was like the murders that he did. He kind of lured off. A couple of women. I think. Uh, well, the first killing, he lured her off, but I, I, there was some coaxing on the part of another person. Right. He had accomplices in the first one. I don't know if it's the greatest nickname for him; it just kind of stuck. It doesn't make a ton of sense. Well, really. it's because
1: all um, his followers but, were so young. So they're saying that that kids followed him, but I don't really think that's so strange because he was small in stature and looked very young for his age. You know what I mean? But well, he was wearing
0: he was kicking on makeup too, man. This dude yeah. was very strange. He strange looking. Um, because of what he did to himself. I mean, he he was a actually not a bad-looking guy, but he, he made himself very creepy, in my opinion. But I guess it was also... This is fresh out of the 50s with greasers mm-hmm. and, you know... And, like, Elvis was huge at the time, right. and he was obviously trying to impersonate Elvis in a lot of ways. Like, his look... He dyed his hair black, caked-on makeup. He put on a fake mole, which seemed to, like... Get bigger and bigger on a weekly basis, and at the, by the time he was caught, it was like taking over his it was, face. It was out of It control. was at least
1: a blotch. That was a <laughs> it was blotch. So big.
0: It was like the size of a fifty cent no piece. No doubt. Dude.
1: Like it just kept. It's been, like getting how bigger. big is a beauty mark? And like anything yeah. bigger than like what was it, Cindy Crawford? Anything bigger than that? That's just, yeah. That's not a mole anymore, bro. This dude was it's so like a cancer strange. spot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and he put like a bandage on his nose
0: to make it look like his nose had been broken. To look like a tough guy greaser. Yeah. Drove a badass car, and there's reasons for that. We'll get into his upbringing. His mom, uh, his, his or his adopted mother, really kind of let him just do whatever he yeah. wanted. Gave him money, gave him his own place to live, and just like that was a big problem. He had too much time, money on uh, too much time and money, and nothing to do, and no like very little education because he dropped out. You know out, what I heard? And uh, he had a little case of uh, little man syndrome too. He was very short, and he used to stack his. Oversized boots with rags and stuff to
1: make himself look right. taller. Newspapers and interesting shit. character, very uh, well. Yeah. You know what? Very conceited and some say a psychopath. As I well. heard something different about the bandage on the nose thing. I, he- I there was another theory that I heard that he wore it in order to build up the bridge of his nose because if you look at pictures without it, he has like a very weak bridge, like it's very curvy, almost like elf-like, and I don't think mm-hmm. he'd like that. I guess. Almost Pied piper you would say? Almost oh, Pied piper <laughs> it's But like, it's it wasn't a strong nose. And someone with a little man syndrome yeah. wants to look as domineering as possible. So I think the Band-Aid did, did a double fold. It, it made him look like he was tough and in fights. But it also built up because of the, the actual pad of the Band-Aid made it look like his nose bridge was straight down. Yeah. So it kind of gave him like a more domineering. Look. He was posturing in
0: any way possible, man. Like he was just trying to be the t- the town tough guy, cool guy. Pull up in the badass, uh, like muscle car, right. top down. <laughs> like just get out, and he just—he was all about his image, and it worked with certain with certain girls. Well, it's going right. to work with young
1: kids, he, dude. It's going to work with the teenagers, yes, the people that he is. attracted. That's the Pied Piper
0: thing. I think that's what it is. Is like he was luring in young girls with his. With his older yeah. age and, like, his cool car and, like, his image. That and guys on. as disciples, his, honestly. Well, yeah, young, dumb dudes that had nothing else going yeah. on, too. Like, it's not like he had, like, great accomplices. He had people who had nothing better to do that were just hanging out at the racetrack every weekend. <laughs> exactly. And had all dropped out of school. This was a time period that we'll get into. Cue the doo-wop music where it's, like, just post-50s, like, this perfect uh, world that we have. Of the, Im- the image of the 50s where everything was just peachy and... Um and then as it transitioned into the early 60s, there is like a, a wave of rebellion from, from the youth, man. And it was there was a lot of kids going out and, and getting into trouble. And I think this is kind of his persona that he tried to create. He was playing off of that.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Those damn hippies, man. They were changing things. Right. <laughs>
0: Well, maybe it was like between then and like the, the Woodstock era where it was like free love and everybody's running around nude yeah.
1: and <laughs> smoking doobies. And people
0: didn't know what to do. smoke a whole sack of weed and hardly even get yeah. high. Yeah,
1: somewhere in between there and the greaser stage, people were just like putting fake moles on Rebellic. their face and putting Band-Aids on. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was just this real confusing time. <laughs> it was a weird time that we're talking about in this case.
0: <laughs> it was the weird mole right. stage, you know? Everybody, Everybody knows likes that to talk shit.
1: about that stage in American history.
0: <laughs> All right. So let's, let's dive into Charles Schmidt's his childhood. He was born, Charles Schmidt, uh, or actually, no, he was actually born with, to a different last name because he was, uh, ended up being adopted as a baby. He was born July 8th, 1942. He was an illegitimate child who was adopted by Charles and Catherine Schmidt, owners and operators of Hillcrest Nursing Home in Tucson, Arizona. We don't know his, his uh, birth name because um, he was given up for adoption by his right. mother. He was, he was left by his mother on the Schmidt uh Schmidt's property as a baby and the couple decided to adopt him as their own. He was left on the property? That's like a
1: movie. Like you left on the doorstep oh, like fucking man. Harry Potter. That like, is what? some Pied Piper shit right there.
0: Right? <laughs> she just walked she just <laughs> ran away with a fucking flu. Right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my
1: God. That is creepy. I didn't oh. I didn't uh
0: I, could, I just picture his mom, like, carrying him up there, sitting him down, and then skipping off, wearing some, like, pant, like, knee-high pants and, like, I'm playing free. a flute. Yeah. <laughs> <It's just like,
1: laughs> <laughs> 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 rats following her <wearing> and shit. <laughs> like, she probably got the rats to carry him over to the doorstep.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Weird-ass lady. <clears throat> um,
0: he had a difficult relationship with his adopted father, whom Catherine Schmidt eventually divorced... Uh, when Schmidt tried to reach out and meet his birth mother, she angrily told him to never come back. Oof, Ouch. That's brutal. And his uh, his relationship with his, his adopted father, uh, apparently he was beaten quite often for almost nothing. And by the time he was an adult, he said that he hated me and I hated him. That was pretty much the relationship we had with him. Um, however, the relationship he had with his adopted mother was... More of a friend, like she wanted to be his friend type of thing and give him whatever he wanted. Like she, they they had money, like his adoptive parents had plenty of money. And so he got whatever he wanted. Eventually, later on, she would give him his own like townhome thing that he could live in as soon as he was like a teenager and dropped out of school. He had his own place, had his own really nice car, and she was giving him like 300 bucks. Was it 300 bucks a week or 300 bucks a month? Whatever it was, was like really good money for the time to do nothing. He had no job and he was just making this money.
1: And they wonder why he turned out the way he did. Like, really? Right.
0: Like, this wasn't a recipe for disaster. Oh,
1: my God.
0: I mean, that being said, like, of course he was going to be an a hole, um, like running around town doing whatever he wanted. But he also had like a psychopath factor to him where it's like that you don't jump from. I got money and I'm I'm Mr. Cool guy with a fancy car and I can do whatever I want because I dropped out of school and all that. To I think I want to kill uh, kill somebody. Well, I think you know, I want to kill a girl. Let's pick a girl and let's go. I and think kill
1: her. the uh, the biological parents maybe had a little bit of pull on that just by giving him up. I mean because you know I mean he obviously found out that he was given up as a baby. Like they didn't even yeah. try. So, and then his mom he finds her and she exactly. rejects him again. That's, That's got to be, be weird. Very tough to deal and with. And then his dad yeah. was an asshole, right? So yeah, mm, yeah. They they I think they had a little bit to do with that psycho thing. I don't think I don't think being treated that way ever quite leaves you once you find out about it. Right. Yeah.
0: Uh, he did poorly in school and was described, but was described as good looking, intelligent, and well mannered, and an accomplished athlete. Yeah, he was a, a badass gymnast. He was uh, he excelled at gymnastics and even led his high school to a state championship. But quit the team in his senior year. So he would do like the rings and stuff. So very strong upper mm-hmm. body. And like we said, short, so the he he didn't weigh a lot, so if he had a strong upper body and he was a smaller stature, that's like perfect for exactly. a gymnast. Short legs, you know, you can just swing them legs around
1: with your big right. upper body. He's like he was like 5'3", three, right?
0: Yeah. But he would stack those those cowboy boots up. He got oversized cowboy boots and stack them up, and he'd oh, make yeah. them he'd like put five like six.
1: newspapers and shit in there.
0: And he walked real strange because of it. He walked <laughs> like like. Uh, Forrest Gump, when he had the braces oh, on. Oh, oh,
1: oh. <laughs> but everyone was too afraid of to it. He's walking around looking like he got wink ankle, weak ankles. Like they're just busting out the sides yeah. on his. This <laughs> is <He's just> like. <laughs> <laughs>
0: just before graduating, Schmid stole tools from his school's machine shop to work on the hot rod he was building and subsequently uh, was suspended. He never returned. to So rather than return the tools and get reinstated into school, he chose just to drop out and keep the tools.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was perfect for him. Which,
0: like we said, why wouldn't you? He was not being pushed by anyone to no. finish school. He was getting everything he wanted and needed anyway. His mom would just give it yeah. to him. And so what's the point even going Exactly. To it's
1: like renting a book at a library and then moving towns, man. It's yours. You're welcome. You know? Now you got yep. it. That's all he wanted. He didn't care. Yeah.
0: Not long after this, Schmidt began transforming himself into the into a grotesque caricature of a 1950s teen heartthrob. He dyed his hair jet black, coated his face with tan pancake makeup, applied white lipstick to his mouth, darkened his eyelashes with mascara, and made a fake beauty mark out of putty and axle grease. <laughs> so that was his mole. Axle, axle grease. grease.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, that puts a manly spin on it, though. You know. I guess when you kick, you're still kicking so on makeup and putting on mascara, JB and... Weld and axle grease over here, <laughs> 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 and make sure that shit ain't coming off.
0: <laughs> uh, in a move to further emulate his idol Elvis Presley, Schmidt clipped a clothespin to his lower lip to make it appear larger. So he's getting that pouty lip look as oh, well. Oh, he's getting that uh, with that Kylie Jenner. He was way ahead of the times, dude. Dude, I would end up probably getting in a fight with him because when I if like, I, I saw him at school or in the street or whatever, trying to act tough with his pouty lips sticking out, looking all ridiculous, I would probably just start laughing. And he'd be like, I could just picture, what's your problem? Yeah. yeah, (laughs) And I'd probably keep laughing until he got my face. (laughs) Right? (laughs) He'd be like, when we put one of these
1: size 14s up your ass. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That are stuffed with socks.
0: (laughs) On both ends. (laughs) Probably be really soft when he kicked it with all them socks stuffed in there. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, um, so after quitting school, he began living in his own quarters of an, on his parents' property and received a monthly $300 allowance. His parents left him to run his own, uh, run on his own with a new car and a motorcycle. I didn't know he had a motorcycle, yeah. too. Of course he had a motorcycle. All on his own. That fits his image as well.
1: All on- I love that. I love that. On his own yep. with his own house yeah. and car and motorcycle that was bought and Basically money a, coming a in. a on-
0: bad boy trust fund, trust fund baby, essentially. Yeah,
1: pretty much.
0: <laughs> Poster boy for white privilege right here. Yep. He spent much of his time on Tucson Speedway Boulevard picking up girls and drinking with friends, although he tended to be a loner. His best friends were a misfit named John Saunders and a dumpy high school dropout named Mary French. Saunders was a skinny, nearsighted asthmatic who was bullied throughout his childhood. The fact that Schmidt even paid attention to him was a big deal and he was eager to do his bidding. That's kind of Hmm. the way Schmidt brought in his disciples was kind of like he just picked people who, like we said, had nothing else going on. Yep. Uh, maybe they were kind of like, like we said, picked on or they, they also dropped out and they were just hanging out at the speedway and it was just like, he wanted a bunch of people that looked up to him to be following him around. It just added to his persona kind of like a lot of uh, like, uh, what's his face? Mayweather does. He's got like his giant group of bodyguards that follow him around everywhere. It just adds more to his persona, you know?
1: Yep. absolutely. That
0: kind of thing. Um, and the, the whole, um, dumpy Mary French thing that, that was directly out of the book. So don't get upset at us. That, that was a uh, Harold Schechter's term. Right. <laughs> um, uh, Mary French had fallen hopelessly in love with Schmid. The couple told Schmid's mother that they had gotten married and she allowed them to live together for a month before she learned the truth. So Mary French, she w- went like the others, had nothing else going on. And she looked up to Schmid, thought he was really cool and like kind of followed him around like, like, uh. Like a puppy dog, essentially, yeah. and that's what he loved most. But he, he wanted a girl to just follow him around. He didn't even care if they were, like, necessarily all that attractive or anything like that. He just wanted someone to idolize him. That's what he, he always. That was his favorite trait in another person. Is if they idolized him, that made them perfect.
1: Oh, definitely. Everyone that he came in contact with was a victim, dude. If you think about it, he yeah. just used them. Oh, in they different all were, ways. Yeah, you're right. Every single you're one. Right. They were a victim in life. Or they were just, or they become a victim to him, and he either takes advantage of them in a in a violent way, or he takes advantage of them as far as their time and their efforts. Yeah. I mean, he's getting something from everybody he he encounters his whole life. Mm-hmm. Despite his many other
0: girlfriends, Mary clung to the idea that he would someday marry her. With that in mind, she got a job at the local hospital and turned her paychecks over to Schmidt. That's incredible. So, just in hopes that he's going to marry her, she's, she's giving him all her paychecks. Plus, he's still getting the money so, from his mom. Yeah, he's, ball, he's balling he at is this balling. point. He's just got women giving him money all over the place. Yep. Sometime in the spring of 1964, Schmidt shared with Saunders and French a fantasy that he had ha- been harboring for quite some time and was determined to act out. Quote, I want to kill someone, he said. I want to kill a girl.
1: Yikes. And this is where the turn, yeah. this is where it turns dark, folks. That's for sure. Yeah,
0: that's what I'm saying. Like, it's one thing to have free time and money, and you're bored, and you want to go out and do some rebellious stuff. But this right. is like, this is like uh, points more towards psychopath. You know, just like you just come up with this idea. I think I want to kill someone.
1: Yeah, and as far as in we the know, early '60s too, when
0: there wasn't uh, a ton of ki- like murder culture, you know, like that was like kind of out of the norm back then. I would think.
1: You know, it's. I think there's there's fewer things scarier than a guy in his position that's been given everything they want. And then they have, he has the complexes that he has. And then he's put yeah. in this situation of power. Like he feels like probably genetically that he's been shit on the world, shit on him. His parents didn't want him. <sighs> You see where I'm coming yeah. from? I feel like this is just... Yeah, everyone's just... kind of pushing them out. Even by giving them money, they're almost kind of like, here, just get out of here. Yeah, it's like he he can tell that they don't have any love or real affection towards him, and I think he's like, okay, well, fine, I'll, I'll take all of your resources, and I'll get back and at society another way. For evil.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the first murder that he would be a part of was a girl named Helene Rowe. She was a blonde 15-year-old high school sophomore, she lived a few doors down from Mary French. The girls were polar opposites, but they were friendly enough that Aileen's relationship with Mary concerned her mother. Miss Rowe was a newly divorced night shift nurse who was concerned that Mary's lifestyle and the crew that she hung around with, namely Schmidt, were going to have a bad influence on her daughter. So she wasn't like really good friends with them, but like them being a few doors down, you can picture Schmid being out in his driveway working on his hot rod or whatever, yeah. and he ends up talking to, to young uh, Aileen Rowe. And just even just the minor kind of little friendship that they had was really starting to bother her mother because she knew that this this guy was a creep. he's I mean, just everything about him just he's older. he's caked on makeup and and freaking driving around in hot rods and just up to no good like he has nothing going on Well mother's She's just no. really kind of concerned.
1: Yeah, she got, she got a bad sense from him Yeah, you get the idea too. you realize that you realize when kids are Or when people are trying to appeal to other people, and if she sees the way that he's out in his yard working, you know he's probably got like what cigarettes rolled up in his sleeve or some shit, you know. (laughs) Imagine your daughter in a a few years, and this fucker's living a couple
0: doors down from you, talking to your daughter, man. You'd be out there trying to punk his ass. Yeah,
1: definitely, definitely be a privacy fence. Bro, you're too
0: old to be talking to my daughter. Get the fuck out of here. I don't want (laughs) to see you talking to her. I I would definitely. Right. Every time she was outside, I'd be outside standing next to her, staring at him. Yeah,
1: <laughs> just staring at.
0: Him. Yeah.
1: Just glaring. But at him.
0: there wasn't that father figure around to do that. The mother was a nurse, like a night nurse. Man, that's oh, super gosh. difficult to be a, a single mother, right? A night nurse, man. Like it, she's as concerned as she was. There was only so much she could do. She basically just had to talk to her daughter and tell her to please stay away from him. But the lure, uh, the pied piper, was calling. You know. That's right. She and could she, hear the flute she from her window. Stay away. Yeah. On the evening of May 31st, 1964, Aline was sitting at home watching TV. Around 9 p.m. when her mother was getting ready for work, Aline went through the, the motions of getting ready for school the next day and going to bed. However, the next afternoon, Aline fought, failed to return home from school at her usual time. Miss Rowe noticed that her school books were still in her bedroom, and when she called to the school, they told her that Aline had been absent that day. Miss Rowe immediately called the police to report Aline missing. At first, she brushed off... She was brushed off by a Tucson police um, as they had had an unusually high amount of teen runaways at that time. So, it was, like we said, the rebellious stage, post 50s, early 1960s. This is pretty common right now going on. Right. There's, they, the book went through a few instances of girls that were similar to Aline that had run away recently and then been discovered a few days later riding around in some hot hot shots fucking hot rod
1: yeah but at this time time was running out though right it had already been a couple days and it was not and miss Rowe
0: knew miss Rowe knew this was not her daughter like she she went through a room and found no clothes missing the only thing that was missing was the bathing suit that Aline was wearing that night when she had last seen her and so that's like she's not going out for a day or two with only wearing her the bikini which she was wearing at the time right Clearly, something had gone wrong that night. Miss Rowe persisted and eventually convinced police to pick up and question Schmid. That was initially who she thought of right away. It was the creep a few doors down. Yep. She never doubted um, it. Yeah. He was. He barely, very smoothly lied to the police and claimed that he had no idea where Eileen was and that he had not seen her the night before. There was no doubt in Mrs. Rowe's mind that Eileen was dead and her ex-husband agreed as well. Um, so let's talk about the night that Eileen died. Schmidt's girlfriend, Mary French, had convinced Roe to go out with Schmidt, Schmidt's friend, John Saunders. Yeah, so uh, Mary shows up to uh, Eileen's window in the middle of the night, and after some talking to her and convincing, she finally convinced... This is the, the, the story that was told later on by Mary French. Right. They're trying to set up a double date here pretty much, right? But... as. Yes, that's what they're trying to convince alina but they've already planned to kill her this this is all manifested in in uh, the evil little mind of freaking schmitty over there that was his nickname schmitty yeah or yeah Uh, schmid schmitty or schmitty i think it's with a d schmitty yeah schmitty because or no smitty not with the sh but a smitty okay now we've cleared it up (laughs) 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 <laughs> <Stupid>. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Schmidt conversation is, I don't know why we're even yeah, going down the Let's get off road. to Schmidt right now <laughs> okay, Enough with the shit yeah. <laughs> Schmidt <laughs> Stupid uh, Yeah so they, basically what happened was Schmidt had uh, sat down with, with um, Saunders and Mary And said I, 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 this is the girl we're going to kill They'd made like a short list of girls And this one just fit the bill Because she was a few doors down Her mom worked nights I'm sure Schmidt knew that mm-hmm. oh, um, yeah. And so it was an easy target and uh, they, this is like basically their plan was to have Mary go over there and convince her to come out uh, with the whole guise of being a double date and all that and was finally able to convince uh, this young girl to, to to come out with them. The group went to Aileen's house to pick her up after her mother went to work to, for the evening. The group drove out to the edge of the desert and sat around drinking beer. This is like a common spot where a lot of kids uh, went out. It's like the drinking spot in the desert. Right. All of a sudden, Schmid grabbed a hold of Aline and tied her arms together with a guitar string he produced from his pocket. He then took off Aline's clothes and laid her down on the ground. um, And uh, he ordered Saunders to rape her, but he refused, saying it didn't excite him. Um, Saunders walked away to smoke a cigarette, and about 20 minutes later, Schmid called him over. When he got there, Roe was on her feet and putting her bathing suit back on. Roe then walked off down the wash, and the two men followed her. Schmid quietly tried to hand Saunders a rock and pointed towards Rowe. Saunders again refused, and Schmidt told him to go to, to go get French. She was back at the car at the time. By the time Saunders got back to the car, French having refused to leave, um, Aline was lying in the wash, her face covered in blood. Schmid was kneeling over, with, kneeling over her with blood on his hands, so he had apparently beaten Aline to death with this rock. Ugh. While all of this occurred, Mary French was waiting in the car and listening to the radio. Afterwards, the three buried her in a makeshift hole. So, like you said, the others along for the ride kind of victims themselves. Obviously, you wish that these young, uneducated kids would have done something to stop this. But at the same time, it's like they're... I don't know. I, they should have done something, yes, but it's like they're obviously nowhere near the same level of blame. And we see that later with the justice system. They don't get the same punishment that Schmidt gets, and rightfully so. This was all right. his doing. This never would have happened without him.
1: And I think they never would have terrified. taken it upon
0: themselves to do anything like this. Yeah, they're scared of this guy. Obviously, probably more now after seeing what he's capable of. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about Paul Ginn and Richie Bruns. In the summer of 1964, John Saunders enlisted in the Navy. Um, so he lost, He uh, lost one of his disciples there right. temporarily. Initially, Schmid lost his most devoted sidekick, but fortunately he had no shortage of loyal lackeys. Paul Ginn was a delinquent who had done time at Fort Grant Reformatory. At age 15, he shot and killed an Air Force captain during a botched robbery. Richie Burns did two stints at Fort Grant for burglary before he turned 18 and never progressed beyond his sophomore year in high school. Bruns was uh, was with Schmidt when he made a trip to San Diego, suggesting they catch a couple of girls, rape them and kill them. Fortunately, for the girls of San Diego, they came up empty-handed and soon went back to Tucson. <laughs> yeah this bro. Bruns character is interesting. We'll talk a lot about him later because he actually ended up being uh, writing a book about this whole relationship he had with Schmidt back then. Um, he was a big he was the biggest reason why Schmidt later gets taken down. Um, but he, at the time, he was one of Schmidt's biggest accomplices. So it's an interesting character in this case. Um, by the fall of 1964, Schmidt had begun to brag that he had murdered Aline Rowe with the help of Mary French and John Saunders. According to Paul Ginn, Schmidt had offered to take him to where she was buried, but Ginn had no interest in going. A lot of that was to do with the fact that Ginn just didn't believe him because Schmidt, he was the type of guy to tell a lot of tall tales. Yeah, he thought he was full he of shit. He had had hooked up with every girl in town and beat up everybody. You know, he's just that guy, who's always bragging, little man syndrome like we said. <laughs> but at the
1: same time, he's also someone who would not be able to keep this secret, which was a good thing. Right? You know? Yeah. That no that doubt. ego Royals. eventually took him
0: down ironically. Yeah. In late 1964, Saunders was back in Tucson having been discharged from the Navy because of his asthma. Schmidt, Saunders and Brunn went out to the desert to go rabbit hunting. So he's got his loyal another one of his loyal lackeys back. So while the three are out rabbit hunting, Schmidt and Saunders left Brunn alone and walked into a wash uh, together under the guise of scaring up some rabbits. However, they didn't return for almost 30 minutes. When Brunn asked where they had gone, Schmidt confessed that he had been, to, been the one to murder Aline Rowe and that they had gone down to where she was buried and poked a stick in the ground to see if it smelled after she'd been there for so long. <clears throat> now let's talk about Gretchen Fritz. One of Schmidt's many girlfriends was a girl named Gretchen Fritz, she was the daughter of a prominent Tucson heart surgeon and a community leader. The couple had a very hot and cold relationship. Either they were expressing their undying love, and were uh, or were they were at each other's throats? <laughs> Schmid set up to secure Fritz's monogamy by setting up an anonymous letter to Tucson Health Department claiming she had a venereal disease, and then spreading the world word as well. That's a that's a maniacal, freaking possessive ass move right there. You yes, call it, is. it. He call up and spread word that she has VD. That to is, everybody, yeah, that's well,
1: extremely shitty and selfish. She she had a bit of a reputation
0: before he'd gotten with her, and I think that was part of his concern was that she was kind of known to to get around. Mm-hmm. And and but then when she met Schmitty, she she like immediately fell for his whole shtick, the bad boy routine and the pouty lips and all that. Right. And they became a thing, and they were obviously constantly hot and cold, fighting all the time, and. She was she was doing her part as well with her uh, stuff it wasn't just him um, fritz told uh, did her part by constantly threatening to blackmail schmidt schmidt made a big mistake and confessed uh to her that he had m- murdered aline Rowe, and that gave her a big freaking hill to stand on as far as blackmail um, there were also rumors that fritz knew of an earlier unsubstantiated murder that schmidt allegedly committed when Schmidt decided to break up with Fritz, she threatened to use the information against him. Obviously, he should have seen that coming. Yeah, seriously. On August 16th, 1965, Fritz and her 13-year-old sister, Wendy, left home to go to the local drive-in to see a movie. They would never return. The next day, the girl's parents called the police who brushed them off, suggesting they probably had run away. That's typical, right? right. How, many, how How often is this? There must be more runaways than we think. We always blame the police like... They always just say it's a runaway, but maybe they're constantly getting runaways. And, There's got to be, dude. When you but do that being said, in, you still out. should do your due diligence, you know, as a police officer. But.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess you hear the same thing after same thing, man. It's like a mechanic. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Six days after the girls had been reported missing, their car was found outside of the Flamingo Motor Hotel. Wherever they had gone, it was now apparent they didn't go in that car. Gretchen's purse, keys, cash, and two tickets to the drive-in were found on one of the front seats. The girl's mother immediately suspected foul play. She said that Gretchen would have never voluntarily left those things behind. Sometime during the investigation, Schmidt confided to his friend Richie Bruns that he had murdered the sisters and showed Bruns the bodies buried haphazardly in the desert. He commented at, to Richie, so they he convinced Richie to go out there and see the bodies. Richie probably was uh, a little s- skeptical and like, fine, I'll go out there and call your bluff. They went out there, sure enough, in the middle of the night they were able to locate the bodies of both girls, and mm-hmm. uh, basically Richie helped him to half-assedly bury the two. With Because they had concerns. Because these two sisters, they're, they were family members of mob people. You remember that part of the book? Yes. At one point, uh, like an uncle who was connected to the mob showed up at Schmidt's house and talked to him and said, if I find out that you had anything to do with this, so it's coming out of your ass, basically. Like, you're dead if right. I found out you did this. Because he knew... Richie, he knew that, uh, that uh, Schmidty had been dating her. And so, you know, they immediately went to him and they, they saw oh, yeah, what kind of character stupid. he was. They suspected him. <laughs> and so now Schmidty's nervous and he takes his accomplice out there to bury the bodies out of fear that, not the
1: police, but that the mob's going to find the bodies and know he did this and, and kill him. You know what else, though? I think he also was bringing Richie out there to get him in.
0: Because yes. he knew
1: once Richie buried those mm-hmm. bodies, he's like, look, dude, you're an accomplice now. He literally so,
0: said that. His it, as after they half-assedly buried the bodies, yeah. as they were walking away, Schmidty said to Richie, "Each
1: time it gets easier." And he said, "Now you're in this just as much as I am." Yeah, and that's what you need. You need everyone because everyone else was was either there when the murder happened or had something else to do with it. But Richie was the only one that did, didn't even believe that he was a murderer. So yep. he had to, he convinced him, which probably also gained his loyalty out of fear. And then, mm-hmm. and then now he has him, you know, somewhat legally bound as well. Yep. Um, in early September 1965, Schmid
0: fell wildly in love with a girl named Diane Lynch. After a whirlwind courtship in which Schmid managed to impress her parents with, quote, a gentlemanly behavior, the two decided to wed. You know, like I feel like that's a red flag. As a father, later when my daughter starts dating mm-hmm. young dudes, if they try too hard to be overly... Cordial and nice, uh, yeah. and like I, I'm, a little, I'm literally looking at him a little sideways. I'm like, why can't you just be real with me? You know, I mean, like, it's one thing to be nice and whatnot, and to be polite and all that, but like, sometimes it's over the top. Mm-hmm. And like, I remember my wife, um, her ex-boyfriend. Like, I, I met her as she was dating that dude, and he was a douchebag. But I remember his behavior with now my mother-in-law. She totally bought into it because I used to hang around them, and I would see the way he would act, and then he would leave. With my now wife and when they were dating and he would be like a totally different like douchebag, much like uh, Schmitty we're talking about here. Interesting. Like he, he was like hot rod fucking Joe over here, all cool guy. And like yeah. And then when he would pull up to her parents' house and go in, he'd be like, hey, Mrs. Blah, 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 like, you know, you know all phony. Uh, I was like, I'm going sm-
1: to smell that shit out, man. Dude, you know, they say, they say that that's a uh, like a growing trend with, with people of our generation. Is where, yeah. you know, because I guess because we grew up with the internet and we see all these societal norms and all these scams and stuff in front of us all the time. Mm-hmm. We see people at their fakest because yeah. we grew well, up I with think these social media. And now, that so you, now-, now that you've had uh, three years living
0: in Vegas, that you, maybe you can understand what I mean when I say like growing up in Vegas, I think you have a higher bullshit meter too. Yes. It's like just walking around, you get people coming up to you, feeding you bullshit. Like you can't walk to Dude. the parking lot of like a gas station or anything without someone coming up to you with a gas can. Like,
1: Yeah. Everybody's Where's your car, a scam. then, bro. Everybody's right. trying to hustle. <laughs> Where'd you get every- the gas can? You just carry yeah. a gas
0: can around with you in your car, so that if you run out of gas, you can go scam strangers, like, or like trying to sell you speakers out of the back of their van,
1: or yes. whatever, like, yes. it never ends. It, you're right, though. Your bullshit meter is is on high alert. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, basically to buck, around, tw- I basically walk around.
0: I basically walk around 24 seven with one eyebrow raised, like <laughs> skeptical fucking snake over here. I can't really.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. i don't buy it
1: get out of my face we need to do more boston accents we right. lost touch the with guy the guy's bleeding on the sidewalk hey you're fine get We're real calling you an ambulance you want to rob me if i come over there shut the yeah, hell up get real <laughs> it's like screaming that's, in that's, agony
0: that's corn syrup that ain't blood get oh out you're of really here.
1: selling it huh pal
0: <laughs> i see the ketchup packet on your leg <laughs>
1: Just eating a hot dog earlier, please. <laughs> Whatever, man. Yeah.
0: What sucker gave you a hot dog in <laughs> Boston?
1: Get a job.
0: Yeah. Said you were hungry. Now you're eating hot dogs, I don't get it. <laughs> Such an asshole. Right. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they, uh, he's, he's trying to impress her parents with the, uh, gentlemanly, be, gentlemanly behavior. They buy into it initially and the two decided to wed, even though it wasn't even legal, but they found a way because Diane was only 15 at the time. Schmidt was 23 gross. Yeah. Uh, and too young to marry in Arizona, even with the parental consent, they still couldn't marry. So the two went to Mexico to get married. The newlyweds, they'd only known each other for a month, by the way, um, the wow. newlyweds quickly settled into a life of happy domesticity, which lasted all of a month. <laughs> yeah, oh. shocker. Didn't last forever. And <laughs> yeah, that's how the story ends, guys. Well, he he learned his, he learned from his murderous ways and turned it around, and now he just sits around playing dice with his wife. Right. Still to this day.
1: <laughs> oh, we could was only was eight hope. years younger than him. <laughs>
0: right. When he was 23. Right. <clears throat> um, so, uh, Richie Bruns became increasingly afraid that Schmid was going to murder his girlfriend, whom he had previously dated. After only a few dates, Richie had proposed to Kathy Morath. She unfortunately did not return his feelings and sent the ring back the next day. She said yes initially, then after uh, upon further thought, sent the ring back the next day, effectively breaking up with him. Now, uh, if, I'm, if I remember the book right, Schmidty had already proposed to Kathy prior to this, and they had broken off. They, he had given her some bogus-ass ring. It was like a piece of glass on top no, of a band or something. Uh, she She said no um and then his buddy richie got with her and proposed to her and he actually gave her a real ring which meant more she said yes initially and then she decided no and there's a lot of uh, proposals going around with these teenage kids in the early 60s after barely knowing each other good idea no wonder the divorce rate uh started skyrocketing after yeah, this yeah
1: but i mean that was i mean You're that's just, what you did man it's like you the sooner you got with somebody you know what i mean and and you're spending a lot of time with these people. You're running away. You're spending time with them. You're counting on them. They're kind of like your family, you know. It's another
0: thing. It's another thing. I think millennials are getting right. They're waiting to get married. They're waiting on a lot of important life decisions yeah. now, uh, which is good. I think it'll it'll help things in I the agree. long run. Um, after after proposing and getting the ring returned, Bruns started sending love letters to her house to try and win her back. When de- when that did not work, he had Schmidt punch him in the face a few times, and then he broke into her house to claim that he had beat up someone who had called uh, her a whore. <laughs> uh, nice. Uh, and after bleeding all over her furniture and everything like that, uh, she still God. didn't take him
1: back, and it was Dude, all for naught. man, they'll do anything. Um, right? It's just like, do you, wanna, do you even want to yeah. be in a relationship where that's the basis of it? Like, let's say everything went your way and she said yes. For the rest of your life, you're going to be like, man, she just said yes out of guilt because I told her I beat somebody up when I really just got punched in the face by my friend for the rest of your life? Right. That's what you want to start it on? Uh,
0: yeah, and she's going to be thinking, man, I didn't want to be with him, but I felt exactly. bad that he got beat up over exactly. something. Exactly. <laughs> no. Like that's really not going to work. But you're you're young, you're emotional, you're hormonal, and remember uh my wife my wife and i when we were dating early on we had a bump in the road where we'd been smoking hookah that was kind of a thing we'd do to go to hookah lounges and stuff when we were Mm -hmm. late teens and uh her parents found her camera with us smoking hookah on it and freaked out and like forbid her from seeing me and uh they basically said you can't talk to him for at least two weeks until we clear this thing up and all that and took her phone what did i do young hormonal in love Went, went out bought a Pays you go, phone, delivered it to her work, and we were texting like that night. Yep. You know, it was just and I remember my dad telling me, Don't worry, because I was freaking out like she's never gonna talk to me again. And he was like, Don't worry, she'll find a way. If it's meant to be, she's gonna find a way to talk yep. to you. Teenagers always do, and that's next that, thing you that's know. That's so true, man. So and it all worked out. We're still together, two go. kids later. You know? yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it works yep. out. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bruns became practically possessed and took to round the clock surveillance of her house eventually morath's father called the police and bruns was arrested bruns lawyer struck a plea deal in court and got him off with only six months probation as long as he agreed to leave tucson until he got over his infatuation Bruns went to stay with his grandparents in ohio and it only took a few days before he was on the phone with his father telling him everything that he knew about schmidt's murder now, I believe he was his biggest concern, and why he ended up turning to the police and telling him, telling them everything that Schmidt had done, and he had seen and heard, uh, was due to the fact that he was really concerned for uh, Kathy's safety. He was worried that he, she yes. would be the next it victim. It seemed like of it, Schmidt. yeah, for sure. Yeah, it seemed that way, um, and and so that's possible that that was what it was about. And like I said, this is the guy uh, that ended up writing a book shortly after. Schmidt's conviction. Um, and after him testifying and him all and him basically getting Schmidt arrested, yeah. he wrote a book. and the book was he wrote this book and it never got published. and he basically stowed it away with a bunch of junk and he ends up living his life and he has daughters. and 40 years later, his daughters are going through his attic, going through all of his stuff and they find this manifesto, this book that he had written about his experience with Schmidt witnessing the stuff he had witnessed, testifying against him, like the the whole full-on book. There was grammatical errors and issues that they cleaned up, but they left the book kind of like, it was like a time capsule. Like it captured the time period. He talked the way he talked back in the 1960s. He was fresh in his early 20s out of this whole thing. And so um, I heard an interview with his daughter who went ahead and fixed, cleaned up the book and published it kind of as is. And I heard an interview with her talking about the whole thing and how fascinating it is. Like, you're getting his take on it right after this whole thing went down. And she said that she's glad that he never changed it or, or like, never decided to publish it because he probably would have, you know, his opinions would have changed over all the years. And so you're getting, like, a fresh look at that time period. So I want to... Actually, kind of like wouldn't mind getting that book, even though once we're done with this case, we're probably gonna have to move on to something else. But if you guys are interested in this case, maybe that's a book you should get. God, I wish I'd have known about uh, it beforehand. Yeah, that would have been awesome. And what was it called? It was called like I. Uh,
1: it's Richie it Brun's like, I, Richie I, Brun's it, book, right?
0: Yeah, Richie Brunn's book. His daughter his daughter's published it. Let's see. Um, yeah. Anyways, go ahead. Yeah, so he he in fear that Kathy's gonna be killed by by Schmitty calls his dad confesses everything his dad immediately calls the police the police contact bruns and say hey you want to tell us what happened and he says absolutely and so he flies back home and tells them everything um they asked if he would be willing to come back and show him where the bodies were show them where the bodies were he agreed the next day a detective from tucson flew to escort bruns home after getting a few hours of sleep Bruns and several officers headed out to the desert schmidt was quickly arrested the day the detective showed up. He would only been married to Diane for 22 days. He was booked on two counts of murder. Saunders and French were also arrested for their part in, Aline's Ro- in Aline Rowe's murder. They both immediately confessed and offered to help officers locate the body. Unfortunately, they were not successful in remembering the correct spot. Police and civilian crews searched for the next several days, but Aline's body was never found. What? Well, not found then. Right. But they,
1: li- they did later um, find it with Schmidt's right. help. Hey, real In exchange for the. I was going to say, real quick, uh, I found that book. Um, yeah. It's called I, a Squealer. So, like, I, comma, right. a Squealer. Like, like basically, I yes. ratted. Like, I squealed the, the insider's cow. account of the Pied Piper of Tucson murders by Richard Bruns. Yes. So, yeah. So
0: maybe we re- re- get that book and revisit this case later on. Or maybe if you guys are interested in this case, that'd be a good book for if you're really into true crime. Like, a uh, person who was kind of unwillingly a, wit- uh, a witness in this mm-hmm. kind of I mean you can see how this happened with him he at first he didn't believe Schmitty and, and, and I'll go out and call your bluff and go out to the desert and see these yeah. quote unquote at bodies at that point, out at here. That this, point this who would do out that here. you
1: know what I mean like I feel like I would if yeah. I was involved with somebody and they're like I killed somebody out here and, and you, you get out especially there like, if you didn't oh, believe them there's
0: actually bodies out here yeah.
1: and the mobs uh,
0: connected to this and now I'm a part of it mm-hmm. Schmitty just said now you're in this as deep as I am yeah, not cool. <clears throat> yeah, so let's talk about the trial. In exchange for their cooperation and testifying against Schmidt, both Saunders and French received re- reduced sentences. I could, like we said earlier, I don't think they should have had the same sentence, regardless, no. because they just they were along for the ride. Like I said, they were still guilty and not stop trying to stop what happened, but they were under the influence of this character. They were he always had younger disciples too, so that he had power over them in that in that right. sense. Saunders, because, uh, like, at the time um, uh, duty wrote the book, Bruns, he was 15 when Schmidt was, uh, was like, 19 or something. So like, he always, the people were always several years younger. He had a cool car, all that stuff. So he always had, like, this. Yeah, and they're,
1: they're all, all at that. vulnerable ages, man. And like you said, yeah. he has a car. They don't. They're too young to drive. Or, or maybe their families couldn't afford to get him a car. And he had freedom. Yeah. He offered freedom.
0: They didn't know what was true and what wasn't with him. He's always telling tall tales, and then he's telling him he killed someone. And so it's part of it's like, and they're saying he wants to kill someone, and they take this girl in the desert. Maybe the whole time they're thinking he's not actually going to do it, and then he does it. They find you know they see her laying in this freaking wash with all bloody, and he's got a bloody rock mm-hmm. in his hand. Um, and and French never even she stayed in the car with the music playing. Not that that means she's completely innocent. She's still. You know, not like we said, not stopping, but at the same time, she obviously was not a murderer. You
1: know, she was just like, oh, my God, what's going on? But she had to have known that if she tried to intervene or tried to freak out, Smitty would kill oh, her, yeah. too. I mean, he wasn't because yeah, he obviously didn't yeah. really care about her or he would have been with her. Right. I mean, I know she always right. thought that he was going to marry her, but in his mind, yeah. that was never the that was never an option. She She was in yeah. the friend zone forever. Saunders received life in prison, but escaped the death penalty, and French
0: was charged with accessory, receiving only four to five years. Schmidt's trial began on February 15, 1966, and was, would last two weeks. On March 1st, after a mere 30-minute deliberation, the jury found Schmidt guilty of third-degree murder. Ten days later, he was sentenced to death. The following spring, he was put on trial for the murder of Aline Rowe and shocked everyone involved by pleading guilty to second-degree murder. That didn't last long, however. He received a life sentence for the second-degree charge. The media heavily focused their attention on the Schmidt case and trial. Life and Playboy magazines sent reporters to Schmidt's trial. Time did features on a contemporary life in Tucson and the murders of the young women F. Lee Bailey, a celebrity attorney who was involved in the Boston Strangler and Sam Shepard cases from the 1950s and 60s, was brought in for consultation. Um, And Rose remains were eventually found in 1967 when the state of Arizona temporarily abolished the death penalty in 1971. Schmid's sentence was commuted to 50 years in prison. And that's because, so he, it's not in the crime line, but the book explained that he pleads guilty. Right. And they give him that, uh, they, they reduce it from death penalty to life sentence. And then he goes, you know what, fuck that. I didn't do it. That story that uh, they told you about me hitting her in the head with a rock, that's not true mm-hmm. at all. It was actually... Uh, he said it was actually Saunders who went out there and strangled right, now her. now that he had time you, to think about it, and if I and if I lead you to when I lead you to the body, you'll see that there's no damage to her skull, showing that he, she was actually strangled, not struck in the head <laughs> by me, and it was Saunders who strangled her. Right. So he actually call he basically they call his buff. They go okay, yeah. shows where the body Let's is. Go see. They bring he brings her, he, he he they dig around a few spots where he points. She's not there, and then he sees some tree on the hill, and he goes, "That's where she is." They go up there, they start digging, they find her. Schmitty pulls her skull out. of They actually let Schmitty, for whatever reason, like the book described him grabbing the skull out of mm-hmm. the sand, picking it up and going, look, there's no marks on her skull. And that proves I'm innocent or whatever. But upon further inspection by someone who's a professional, they found uh, damage at the base of her skull. They found <laughs> blood in the in the cracks in her totally skull. Totally backfired. Which proved that she was alive when she was struck. And they they checked her, um, her neck, like her... Uh, her neck area and, and they found no signs of her being strangled as well so that basically
1: did him in uh, right not only did it work against him it confirmed that he was lying that's that's awesome right. yep
0: uh so but as they abolished the uh death penalty in 71 his sentence was commuted to 50 years after his incarceration his incarceration schmidt attempted to escape from multiple from prison multiple times and finally succeeded in November 11, 1972, when he and another triple murderer, a guy named Raymond Hudgens, escaped from Arizona State Prison. They held four hostages on a ranch near Tempe, Arizona, then eight at a Sonic, <laughs> and finally separated. They were they were finally recaptured and returned to prison.
1: Yeah, oh, so. You want to go get one more cold dog, a chili dog, in a slush? Yeah. <laughs> What's those commercials with hour, the two dude. goofy
0: dudes? I, I picture the commercial with the two goofy dudes for Sonic <laughs> sitting there. That's like how they were after they escaped from prison, a couple of triple murders, just sitting hanging there, out. Sitting there eating Sundays. A,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> Sonic's not bad as far as fast food goes. It's all right. It's a little sal- overly salty, I think, yeah. but they got some cool, some good options. They got like, hey, you want a chili dog or something? They got some like interesting options. And they're, uh, they have, what's that drink they have? Ocean water? Delicious. Oh, no, I haven't had that. I mean, if, if I escape from prison, mm-hmm. I've been on death row for a while, and I see a Sonic, I'm stopping.
1: Hell yeah. That would be that'd be I'm fine. Just saying. Especially if it's between two and four, man. I used to go get that cherry lemonade slush. Oh my God. It had like right. real cherries floating around in there and shit.
0: Yes. <sighs> Good stuff. Um, they're finally recaptured and returned to prison, and in the early 1970s, Schmidt became interested in poetry. Oh. He sent his work from prison to a professor at the University of Arizona named Richard Shelton. Quote For all the wrong reasons I critiqued his work and discovered that he was quite talented, Shelton says.
1: It's it. not what I wanted do to hear. Do you have
0: a minute to pull while I keep going on about like his uh the rest of mm-hmm. his life? Do you have a minute to pull up some of his poetry? See if you can find it. I wanna see if we can finish the episode with uh, a poem from this douchebag. Right. Not to celebrate him, but may, hopefully it's shitty, you know, and this guy this professor was wrong. I hope that <clears throat> Uh, let's talk about his death. On March 10th, 1975, Schmidt... This is a poetic justice here. This is one of those that ends well, really. Um, the death penalty, he he kind of got off on that, but uh, he was ended up being stabbed 47 times by two fellow prisoners. After losing an eye and a kidney, he had said to have died on March 30th, 1975, so it took 20 days after being stabbed 47 times for him to finally die as a result of the attack. So then they found the... Uh, prison found a couple of shanks in a dumpster that the prisoners they, they never found a reason they found out who the inmates were that had done it i'm sure they had nothing to lose they were probably never getting out of prison right. anyway and uh, those two prisoners never gave a reason why they did it i'm sure it didn't take much maybe he looked at him wrong or bumped into him or who knows maybe they found out what he did that he killed young girls
1: oh yeah you never you, uh, dude it could, who knows? Be anything. could be anything yeah
0: Following his death, Schmidt's mother chose the prison cemetery for his burial, believing that if he was bur- buried in a public cemetery, his tombstone might be def- defaced. I was going to say defecated. <laughs> <laughs> My, I mean, maybe. Uh, he received a Catholic funeral at the prison, although he was not in the casket. After Schmidt's trial and conviction, Catherine Schmidt and her second husband owed her son's legal team more money than they possessed as a result they ended up living in near poverty in Coolidge Arizona oh my goodness that's crazy so his mom like they were, his, his adopted parents were well off and his mom always giving him all the money he ever wanted and it ended up making them go broke because he became a freaking murderous creep and his legal team demanded so much money they they went completely broke
1: from the from his parents crazy from his adopted legal, family, Yeah, right? he had
0: so much legal fees from all of his trials and everything that his adopted parents went broke trying to pay for it all. Wow. That's crazy that they were still, I mean, maybe they didn't have the option to not pay for it. I don't know. Well, the fact, they must have because they could have just given him a, you know, state-appointed appointed attorney or whatever, mm-hmm. and they chose to get him a real legal team, so that's on them, I guess. Wow. But,
1: well. Did you find any? Dude, I'm not any, finding uh, like an actual poem. Finding a bunch of information about Dude. how it was. Well,
0: published. here's what we'll do. I don't know if you have you already made the intro?
1: Uh, No, not yet.
0: Okay. Well, if you find some, like dig around. If you find, some of his, find one of his poems, maybe add
1: it to the intro. That's a great idea because I already have music. I just don't have any, I don't have words. So it's perfect. Perfect. Perfect.
0: Right on. So maybe you guys already heard one of his poems. You're living in the future. Right. I don't know. They're, they're, so, they're so advantaged, <laughs> man. They have, right? They're so lucky. So how how are things in the future, guys? Like, <laughs> right. How's global warming how's going? It, Is it really fucking hot? Still hot. hot?
1: It's still hot. Feels hot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's uh, that's All the right. Pied Piper, right?
0: It's, yeah, man. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, always pay your debts, man. I'm like a Lannister. I always pay my debts. Or you never know when the Pied Piper's gonna come calling, drag your kids away into a lake. You know. Yeah, so. or
1: like the IRS. <laughs> yeah, right. they're, they're just as bad as
0: the Pied Piper. <laughs> Drag you right behind bars. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> Take everything you own while you're at it. Yeah. All
0: right. All right, let's do some shout-outs. Uh, oh, my Gaia. Yeah, let's do Oh, my Gaia first. I, am, I just got a care package. I posted what uh, Wendy sent uh-huh. me on Instagram. I'm sure some of you guys saw that. I'm wearing oatmeal. She sent me some oatmeal for oh, free. Nice. Just to try out, I smell delicious. Like somebody (laughs) needs to just sprinkle some fucking raisins on me. I I smell like
1: you could eat my ass right now. So good. So good. Sitting. I love it. Dude, you are you are living lavish right now. Sitting in your recliner, smelling like oatmeal. I really feel like a
0: lord or some sort of king. Yeah, you should. Like someone should bring me a chalice with some red wine in it. Very
1: nice. All right.
0: (laughs) I drink and I know things. If you
1: you too want to feel like a king, you can get some oh my guy as well. Oh my guy. I see what you did did there. Oh My Gaia is an innovative, yeah. all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaya, they use only all-natural, paraben, and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Now, there's a ton of scents, uh, which, one of which is uh, a new one, oatmeal. There's also vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, and we have our very own scent. Eight.
0: What uh, what, what scent do you think Schmidty would have worn? I have an idea. I'm pretty sure I know
1: which oh, one. Oh, which one would he have worn? Um,
0: yeah. Oof. Say it in three seconds. Three, two, one. Leather. leather. Oh, damn
1: it! I was <laughs> looking at leather and lumberjack. I was going back and forth, back and forth, but I was like, wait a second. Lauren identifies with lumberjack. He wouldn't say lumberjack. He's gonna yeah. say leather. See that? Yep. Whew. For sure, a, for sure was a leather thought process. But yeah, definitely leather He probably smelled like leather anyways Because you know when it was cold He wore one of those damn leather jackets Which is not often in if Tucson Wendy
0: had, uh, If Wendy had uh, uh, grease, like engine grease scent He probably would have yes. chose that Mix that in with some of the leather Yes, yes. Now leather and grease Schmidt, Schmidt scent. Schmitty That's scent right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> But we have our very own scent Called True Crime Pine it Has our old school headshot logo on there And it was made specifically for us Which is pretty dope but you can, guys can get any of these scents for 15% off with the code word CREEPER, C R E E P E R, at OMYGAIA.com. Oh That's O H M Y G A I A dot com or at shop underscore OMYGAIA oh on Instagram. Just, just do, do it. it.
0: <laughs> just do it. If you're thinking about trying it, don't think. Just do just it. Just do it. It's amazing. It won't give your armpits cancer or, I don't know. Is that how it works? Is your armp- No, I'm sure it just gets in your bloodstream and you. you it's just not good having aluminum and paraben and all that crap in your bloodstream, right. guys. Just don't do it. They're
1: not they're not natural. And, uh, and
0: and guess what? Antiperspirants aren't good for you either. They clog up your sweat glands and all mm-hmm. that shit and bad stuff can happen. So get something that isn't necessarily gonna prevent you from sweating, but it's gonna make your sweat smell delicious and make people wanna lick it out of your armpits. I've seen it happen. It's kind of awkward, but also flattering at the same time. There you go. When you have strangers coming up trying to lick your armpits. It's it's kind of it's a, it's kind of like when dogs come up and sniff each other's right? butts. That's what happens when you wear Oh My Well, God. I
1: hope that one day we will live in a world where that's a normal thing. You know what I mean? I agree. Okay? So I think we're, this is our first step towards it, and I think Oh My Guy is help get it, helping us get there. All right. Right on. I
0: want to thank the people who have gone this week and rated and reviewed our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're listening. If there's a way to rate it, go do it. Even if you don't want to write anything, you just click five stars. But the best way to get a shout-out... On the show is by writing as a little review. Right. And and shout out to all those people who get so butthurt about us still to this day making the freeloader oh, jokes. I know. We got another one star this week about that. And it's just honestly, I love it. It's just funny. It's like, man,
1: there's some people that take themselves. It really is seriously. fun though. It, it's just like it's it's like a little goodie that I get to look at. I'm like, yeah. That's good. I I mean that kind of one-star review, I'm totally happy with that. That's totally fine. You didn't, you didn't uh you didn't knock on our sound quality. You didn't knock on the show content. You didn't say anything bad about yep. the show in a way that people actually care about. You just got butthurt over being called a freeloader. That's fine with me. That works. Yep.
0: So I want to say thanks to Roro Post, Drock35. Uh, my name is Aaron. Uh, okay. Says we're the best of the best, Word. and Bina Jet says we're hilarious and informative. So thank you guys. For taking the time to do that if you have a minute go do it and if you have a minute and a couple bucks a month to spare go over to patreon.com slash true crime guys check out all of our bonus content check out michael's show higher thoughts that's right where he he talks to listeners answers questions he has his wife on he has different guests on he had esther on he had me on once yeah we had a lot of fun with that talking all kinds of shit oh yeah uh
1: yeah it's a great show you know what i'm thinking and it's, this is a totally a- crazy idea Um, but I kind of wanted to get some listener feedback to see if people would even be interested in this. I thought about putting out on social media, what time exactly I'm going to be recording higher thoughts and then maybe have like Mm. my Skype line open. So people could literally just call me during the show. We got a caller on line three. Yeah, that would be dope. Right. But I mean, it was still pre-recorded like it wouldn't be broadcasted live, but you could still literally call into higher thoughts while, Hmm, but let's see. It needs to be broadcasted live somehow, doesn't it? Uh, I got. I, I know of a service called Mixler.
0: Mixler.com makes it very easy to broadcast live. Really? Try that shit out.
1: Okay. Yes.
0: Mixler, it has an app, and, and people can download the app on their phone if we ever wanted to do it live for whatever reason. But for sure, like I've seen other podcasts do it, and it works well, and people can comment live. They can listen live. Oh. Very easy. You just set your, your mixer to be the uh, port uh-huh. for
1: it. Okay.
0: And, yeah, try it out. And, and so... Um, once you get that set up just tweet out the link to your mixler page or whatever like higher thoughts mixler yes and and it also if people go and they follow you on there it inform it lets them know like it sends a notification to their phone that you just went live so then you don't even have to tell them like i'm going live at this time as soon as you go live they get a notification that you're live and they can jump on comments and listen so okay very easy. so that's
1: definitely an option i uh yeah guys let me get settled uh, back in North Carolina, yeah. and we'll get this thing up and running. I may not do every episode go. this way because there are going to be no, some out. Yeah. You
0: probably love it, and then you end up will want to do it live every time. You never know. Yeah, it's like, maybe. Seems like it's like
1: doing like your own radio show almost. Yeah, that is a very cool. That's a very cool thing. All right, I'll definitely look yeah. into that. Cool. So look forward to that in the future, guys.
0: Right on, people. All right, so next week we're putting out. Uh, speaking of Patreon, putting out a Patreon exclusive from two years ago. I think it might be time for the. Uh Ruby Ridge. Dude, I think it's slash Ruby Ridge Oklahoma time. bombing. Uh kind of a hot topic right now. Yes. Domestic terrorism with all these goddamn shootings that are going on. I'm tired of this shit, dude. I'm tired people. Yeah. If you think you're gonna go kill a bunch of people, just kill yourself, please. I mean, just I know it sounds yourself. kind of harsh, but yeah, don't kill innocent people. Just stop. Well, but or go get help. Go get counseling first. Dude, it's do something else other than killing random strange like strangers. That's not fucking cool. Period. Never is it fucking cool. Dylan Roof and that other douchebag from Columbine are not fucking cool. No one that goes out and shoots a bunch of innocent people is fucking cool. Do not idolize them. They're assholes. Fuck them. The problem is... I don't even think their name should be on TV. That's why we don't do... We've done maybe one mass shooting. I didn't like it. You know, it's just like... Because to me, it seems like it's... They're doing it for their 15 minutes of fame most of the time. They're doing it because they think they're going to become famous in their afterlife or whatever. Yeah. You know, it, it just... It really is getting out of hand now. It's... It really is. Yeah, yeah it's, it's upsetting. Every time you turn on the TV or you get a notification on your phone, it's a fucking another mass shooting. It's disgusting.
1: Yes. And just if parents too, like if you if your teenagers, your young teenagers are living their lives online, like maybe reach out because yeah, like Get them out of the house yes, and do some because stuff and
0: keep the guns fucking locked up and away
1: from them. Right, because if they're if they're th- having any types of these thoughts, they're going to find millions of people who will back them up online. And yeah, not only back them up, encourage and them seen. to do it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's so scary, man. Like, these the people are out here. They're out here trying to get anybody that is feeling left out. Yeah. And I, and honestly, honest to God, man, I think, like, I mean, think about, like, the Kipling Kinkle case. Yeah. I mean, look, he was, he's a great example. He come home every day. He got on his computer. It was right around the time the internet was becoming more popular and people were we're ganging up on there, mm-hmm. he's getting on there and going on these same sites, these same forums, and we've talked about it countless times on here, yeah. but it's it's a recipe for disaster. It, it makes kids, especially in these formative years, feel out of touch, yeah and when you when you become out of touch with humans, you lose compassion for other humans, yeah. and that's how these things are possible yeah it's It's terrifying, dude, I'm getting fucking chills just talking about it, man. I, yeah It's a scary time, dude. It really is. It really yeah. is. Like, we need to reach out and connect with humans in real ways as much as possible. Yep. Seriously. All
0: right, All right. guys. That being said, I mean, we do talk murder on our show. We're, we're, we'd we're we like to think we're uh, making the killers look bad and we're propping up the victims and we're also covering the psychological aspects of... We cover a lot of cases where the people, a lot of times they they had something wrong with them or they yeah. just stayed their upbringing caused them to be angry at the world or whatever happened. And we just, we're trying to help rather than idolize these people. So I hope you guys know that. I think you do if you're listening, So because we don't want to be a part of the problem. Definitely. We don't want to idolize any killers, man. It's not cool. So. Absolutely not. All right. Well, on that yeah. heavy end uh, to a comedy type of podcast. That's uh, right. <laughs> Got to have some levity, but yeah. So enjoy the, uh, the uh freeloader series was like part five or something there's like the fourth or fifth uh yeah out.
1: episode five yep yeah
0: and michael's uh gonna be moving next week i believe right and that's 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 the perfect timing that's right That yep, give me so. a,
1: somewhat of a week off yep. i'll do the little intro shit and yeah, we'll be back together. the
0: following week uh with a new patreon exclusive
1: yes Right yes, on
0: will. all right guys well enjoy your uh week and uh, we'll see you next week for the freeloader part five all right keep creeping guys keep creeping
1: true crime guys in the desert we like a mirage it's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage now we ain't mad at you sit down let us talk at you i'm talking to the creeper army we out here making murder, get murder, true, murder, murder. true crime, true crime guys. guys in the desert we like a mirage it's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage We ain't mad at you, sit down, let us talk at you I'm talking to the creeper army, we out here, make it better, charming